What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. This is Deep Dish Conversations, a series in which I, Jerome Moore, sits down with prominent figures in Nashville, Tennessee to talk about social issues over amazing deep dish pizza. Deep Dish Conversations models how to have conversations about deep issues around racism, housing, policing, poverty, and more. Plus, you will get an idea for where to get your next slice of pizza from. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy Deep Dish Conversations. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another amazing episode of Deep Dish Conversations. I'm your host, Jerome Moore. And, you know, every guest that we have on here is amazing, right? But some people are just, you know, extra, especially amazing. And uh, Don Diener is one of those people. Um, former public defender of Dashville, Davidson County. Uh, currently the founder and director of Choosing Justice Initiative here in Nashville. Hey, Don, how's it going? Hey, it's going well. What a kind introduction. Hey, kind for kind people. And this is me and Don's first time meeting in person. We've been on several, many Zoom calls Zoom, over the yep. pandemic times. And so it's good to see you in person. Yes. In the flesh. This Get to fabulous. hug you. Disclaimer. Okay? Disclaimer. I have to put it out here. I told Don that I would do it. Don is a New Jersey native. And when I emailed yes. her and reached out to her about doing the deepest conversations, she happily agreed. But let me know that because she is from New Jersey, thin crust is definitely unequivocally better than deep dish absolutely and, and so for all her new jersey folks <laughs> east coast back at home yes she's doing this for the love of the show and myself but you know we have thin crust here too mm-hmm. so what she can partake in but i would not dare come to deep dish conversations with jerome moore and order a thin crust pizza so you know well, I had to put the disclaimer out there because you know, you know, I get it. I understand. Like pizza is a serious thing, and it's very mm-hmm. serious, especially to me. So if you pick a side, you're on the side. Hey, I get it. Well, as deep dish goes, this looks amazing and it go ahead, smells go ahead, fabulous. Go ahead and try a bite. Go ahead and try right, a bite. Gonna, Before I'm we gonna, get started, go and get your first I feel like thing. it's had a moment to sit here and rest a little bit, and it's ready. Um, and it just looks amazing. So let me give it a go. Mmm. I did taste. Really good. And we have the same thing. We just mine is just thin crust. Wait, and I wanna I'm curious, did you order the same thing intentionally or is no, that, I, that I, the kind I, of pizza you really like? Yeah, this is the piece I really like. I either I either um I'm a pepperoni person, mm-hmm. but I really like this spinach margarita that Gino's has. Yeah. Um it's delicious. So you all should definitely come check it out. Uh, if you're here in Nashville well, or I'm in glad Chicago. I'm glad I had good taste to get the same thing. You've been eating here for a while and you get it, then I got the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I need to slow down because if I ate deep dish every, like, twice a week is when we do this, yeah, I'll probably be 300 pounds maybe. Mm-hmm. I feel you on that. I, I got to watch how much pizza I eat too, so. <laughs> so. It could be an everyday thing for me. I like it that much. Seriously, it was an everyday thing for me, like in, in actual life. I didn't I, like I would eat pizza every day. Mm-hmm. Quick story: When I was living in China, like the second year I was living, I found a Papa John's and ate there almost every day. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Yeah. And, really? And, yeah, really. Yeah, and I found it like I was like, why didn't I? It was probably good that I didn't find it when I initially got there, but I found the Papa John's and I ate. I literally went like every. Every maybe every other day, but I became they knew what I they knew I already knew what I want. I just sat down. <laughs> I have a real issue with pizza, a really issue. Well, I hope you ate some of the local cuisine while you I, were there. I did. I, okay. I was there too, like on the every off days. Day. Every other <laughs> <laughs> cut and eat in Shaman, China. Best pizza, one of the best pizzas I've had too. Yeah, in general, cut and eat wow. in China. Yeah, like, it was it's really good. Like and, they, and it's like they do a thin like oh it's, well we can talk about pizza all day. Mm-hmm. We're here. We're going to talk about this criminal justice system. We're getting straight into it. All right. So, 20 plus years in the public defender's office. What happens in the public defender's office? What happens? Lots happens in the public defender's office. Um, you know, I think that I often think about it as the emergency room of the criminal legal system, frankly. Mm. Um, there is just constant... Uh, like it never stops. People right. never stop getting arrested, right. and the vast majority of people who get arrested can't afford to hire lawyers. Right. Um, and so there's just a constant churn of new people being arrested, coming into jails, mm-hmm. coming into the office, and the public defender's office job is to try to help those individuals um, get justice. Right. Um, maybe. I think that my attitude about getting justice has changed over 25 years, um, and I think so. So what is that? What is, so yeah, what is justice to you? Yeah. What is that? What, what is, is that? Even? Yeah. What is justice? Because I think that's that's a chant that we hear a lot, right? Especially sure. when like we want justice, and like, is there one terminology? What is? Does that mean something different for every person? Is it an I arrest? So. Is it you know? What is it? Is it like a settlement? Like, what is that? Like, I, I think it's a really good question that nobody ever really asks, right? right. We, we you hear the phrase criminal justice system, which is not a phrase I use anymore. Right. Um, I refer to the court as the criminal legal system. Okay. Um, I have a, a, a colleague who refers to it as the criminal punishment system. Mm. Um, and I think that that's probably the most descriptive thing about it is that. Do what, I know this colleague? Uh, no, okay. you don't. Okay. But, um, you know, it's not unusual these days to hear people referring to it as the criminal legal or criminal punishment system. Right. Because that is really the only kind of justice that happens within the court system. Right. For the most part, is punishment, right. which is one concept of justice. Right. But, you know, I went to law school, and I don't recall ever having a conversation in law school for three years about what is justice. Mm. And so I think it is not a question that many people think about and certainly not many lawyers think right. about. For me, justice has come to mean something much more philosophical right. and is about how ultimately about how people live in community with each other, in relationship with each other in a voluntary way. Right. Uh, and I think voluntary is important, right. uh, particularly in the context of you know, U.S. culture. Right. Uh, but how we live together in relationship with each other, the set of the agreements that we make about how we will do that um, peacefully. Right. And most importantly, how we will deal with violations of that agreement. Right. Right. Because it's one thing to agree that I'm going to let you be in peace and I'm gonna, you're going to let me be in peace. But what happens when that peace gets disturbed? Right. Uh, what happens when you do something that harms me? That right. violates the agreement that we had. Right. 
how do we deal with that violation? Um, to me, that's what justice is really about. Right. Um, and I think what our court system has long been about is power and control mm -hmm. and punishment and oppression. Right. And so it's no surprise then that, that the kind of justice or the, the, what happens in the court system mm -hmm. for people who are perceived as violating the code of conduct right. is purely punishment. Right. Speaking of power, uh huh. <laughs> you know, the word power could, you know, some people can look at it as a bad thing. Some people can look at it as a good thing. But we all have some type of power in some type of way in our daily lives. It's just mm -hmm. how it's power. Yes. The word power is dynamic. It's a dynamic word. Right. Um, how did you use the power that you had, you know, in the public defender's office to, to best serve Nashville? That's a really good question. Um, and I think that, so during the time that I was there, mm -hmm. I always had power. Lawyers right. have power. Right. Um, specific, related to their knowledge of the court system. Right. And so when I was a line attorney, I tried my best to use my power as a lawyer mm -hmm. to serve and help uh, and get good outcomes mm -hmm. for my clients. Um, once I became the head of the office, um, you know, that, that obviously you, changes. Right. And you, you develop, a, in some respects, a greater sense of power right. um, to make systemic changes. Right. right. So instead of helping one client or serving one client or trying to get one client justice, you have a platform to do that writ large right. and for a much broader population of people. And so... I tried to do that as the public defender, and in all honesty, it took me probably two to three years to even, one, understand mm -hmm. the power that I had, or to start to understand the power that I had and the platform that I had, and to, to come to learn the difference between managing mm -hmm. and leading. Right. And so I think when you have power, you have a responsibility to lead. Right. And I saw my responsibility as the leader of the public defender's office was to speak truth. Okay. First and foremost, right. which is not something that happens in the court system nearly as often as it should. Right. Um, and it, it certainly, I don't think happens, um, not in, in, our, in our society it doesn't happen much, but it doesn't happen much when we speak truth about what we have perhaps done wrong. Uh, and and it, to me, I had always struggled with the idea that our clients called us public pretenders. Oh. Yeah. Um, That's a new one to me. Really? Yeah. I, you know, I've never had. Okay. You know, I've been blessed <laughs> to never well, have to, you know, have to need a lawyer for anything yeah. like that. And so, but public the pretenders, huh? Yeah. And I think, you know, even in pop culture. Right. Um, yeah. You know, public defenders get a bad, public, you get a bad, like that. You get a bad rap. Uh, yeah. I don't know, right? Uh, you yeah, get a bad yeah, rap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that it's complicated. It's complicated, yeah. So public defenders have the reputation, the stereotype that mm -hmm. exists for a reason. Right. Right? Uh, and I think we got to, as public defender, I felt I had to own that mm -hmm. and, and 
deal with that, Mm -hmm. acknowledge it and interrogate it. Right. So why do we have that reputation? Right. Um, And the truth is the public defense system in this country was never set up, established to succeed the way we might think about what a successful public defender's office looks like and providing equal justice to people who don't have money to hire lawyers. Right. So I think that's a systemic issue. Right. Um, But I think also it was never set up to to exist in community in in solidarity with the people who we represent. Right. There is this power dynamic that exists. Um, and as long as the system works for public defenders, you know, then they have something to lose right. if they if we don't speak up. Right. Uh, or if we do speak up, we have something to lose. And so I felt like the most important thing I could do as a public defender and using my power is to invite that conversation with the individuals who we were representing and still represent to say, mm-hmm. what, are, what do we need to be doing better? What are we doing wrong? How are we not helping you speak? How are we not speaking for you the way we need to speak for you? How are we not fighting for you? Right. And for me, ultimately, the, the most important issue became reducing our workloads. Right. Um, because... Which you did. And, and because I knew that as long as we had too many clients to do what, to provide each client with the kind of zealous defense that they needed mm-hmm. and deserved... Um, we would never be anything but public pretenders, right? right? And we would never have the trust and um, faith of the people, their, of, the, of our clients, of their families, right. of the larger communities from, from where they live, right? right? Uh, and so fundamentally, I felt like we needed to change that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we cut caseloads and, and started turning clients away, which was a very difficult thing. Right. Um, we can talk about this later, but when the public defender doesn't represent you, there's an entirely different system of indigent defense oh. that is in many respects worse than the public defender uh, option. Right. right? Um, and so we knew that when we turned clients away, they were going to be funneled into a system that also was not working well right. um, and harmed people. Right. Um, we started a client advisory board right. to try to get input from individuals who may not necessarily have been represented by our office, but who had lived the experience of going through the court system with a court-appointed lawyer and had things to say about what the problems were. Right. And advice to offer for how we could be doing better for our clients. Um, And so I think that the third thing I'll say is that I learned that you are never going to, as long as you sit in rooms and say no to everything, in tables where people in other positions of power are, as long as you sit in those rooms and don't say anything or just say no to everything, you're not going to get very far. And so I learned a lot from watching other elected officials mm-hmm. um, at those tables and they had ideas right. and they brought ideas and they said, this is what I see needs to be done to mm-hmm. address some of the systemic issues that are happening. Right. And so I think a good example of that 
um, that happened right ended up going into going into place right before I left was the steering clear driver's license diversion program. Um, like that's one of the things I'm most proud of that I that right. I did when I was at the public defender's office right. was to say this whole cycle of sending people through the court system just because they were driving on a suspended license right. is a waste of time, a waste of resources, not helping anybody, right. and actually harming a lot of the people who are going through that court system. Right. So how can we do it differently? How can we do it better? And how can we, how can we address whatever concerns are out there about people driving on suspended licenses right. in a way that helps, <clears throat> not harms right. everybody? Right? There's, right. There was nothing about that system of arrest, go to court, get court costs, not right. pay the court costs, still don't have a driver's, driver's license, license, get rearrested again. Right. There's nothing about that that was helping anybody. Right. So what you made me think of a, like a new question. Okay. You talking about like sitting at the table with these other, you know, powerful people, you know, elected officials, people have this decision making power. You know, and a lot of times there are not many people that, you know, know know what these conversations are about or that they are that they're happening. So right. what are some things that Nashville should be talking about when it comes to like the criminal justice system that we're not talking about? What are some topics that we should be addressing that we're just avoiding here in Nashville when it comes to our criminal justice system or criminal legal system, I would say? So to me, the most important question that we should all be asking is, follows up on what I was just talking about related to steering clear. How is this helping anybody? Right. Um, how, how is it making anybody healthier? How is it keeping us safer? Um, how is it delivering accountability? Right. Uh, and ultimately, is this representative of justice? Right. Um, like those are really specific questions that I think anybody looking at our court system needs to be asking because right. we spend a lot of money right. on our court system and right. the court system is tied in with policing. Right. It's tied in with uh, jails. Right. It's tied in with probation. Right. right. And so it is that as the Nashville People's Budget Coalition really has been central in, I, I think, trying to start educating right. Nashvillians about. And NOAA is also an organization that does that. Um, the Black Nashville Assembly, right, is, right. is a new organization that's really right. working on issues around primarily defunding police. Is, is, but they're also, right. their perspective is much broader in terms of defunding um, law enforcement and right. the whole system that is related to quote unquote justice. Right, public safety. Public safety, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And I th so I think that public safety narrative is lulls people, right? Right. I think I think the average person hears public safety and thinks, oh, the courts and the police got us covered on that, right? <laughs> right. right. Like we trust them right. to keep us safe, right? And. I think that's some of the work that organizations like Gideon's Army um, mm -hmm. and um, the People's Budget Coalition are really starting to push against, right? That right. idea of who keeps us safe and right. what keeps us safe. Right. Um, and what is safety, right? right. Um, so the court system, 
gets a lot of money. Right. So let's talk about the money. Uh-huh. Because, you know, um, I'm just fascinated on the amount of fees, court costs, attorney fees, uh, probationary fees. Uh, it's a whole bunch of fees that goes uh-huh. into, like, once you get arrested and go to jail, that people stay in jail for the simple fact that they can't afford to get out. Um, can't afford bail. It can't afford bail. And me and you could have the same crime, same criminal background, and ha- have drastically different bail amounts. Um, how does that happen? What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, 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 it, like, make it make sense for us, Don, because it's just. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I think. If you look at historically, mm-hmm. it does make sense, right? Bales generally are designed to benefit the wealthy right. and to oppress the those poor. who are not yeah, wealthy, right? right? right. Um, and so our criminal legal system stems from, historically, you can, if you want to go backwards, right? Um, Jim Crow, right. Uh, go back to convict leasing. Right. Right. Uh, Go back to slavery. Right. Right. So I think the idea of convict leasing, right, is the thing that comes to my mind most prevalently when I think about costs associated with the court system. Right. If I set your bail at fifty dollars on a, um, you know, a loitering charge, which is really what came to rise uh, in the time of convict leasing in this country, right? Is that it was reconstruction, post-reconstruction, and um, in the South in particular, vagrants, right? They, mm-hmm. the, this concept of vagrancy, which was largely uh, African-Americans, right? Who right. were wandering from you know, looking for work. They might, you know, whatever. Right. Standing on a street corner. Right. Uh, same thing still happens today. Standing right. on a street corner, you you have interaction with police. Police, right? right. But if I arrest you for vagrancy or public loitering, and I set your bail at fifty dollars, and you can't afford to pay that bail, then you are much more likely to go to court and plead guilty to that. Right. Then I'm. You will be assessed costs, fines, fees, um, right. and if you can't pay them. It used to be under convict leasing. Well, then you would be leased out to the landowner who was 20 years ago. Land was a plantation. Right. Right. To go pay off, work off your debt. Right. Um, and what we see today in the current system is just the carryovers and the legacy in a different form of those same practices. Right. Um, which is demoralizing um, and... But I think also if we understand where its roots, then right. it helps us to understand why we need to change it. Right. Um, so today, yeah, bail is still about, um, I'm going to, I think bail is about the fact that the presumption of innocence really doesn't exist right. in our legal system and in our culture. Right. And so if you're arrested, there isn't a real emphasis on, oh, you're presumed innocent. You should be able to get out of custody pre-trial. Right. It benefits people who have money because they're out. Right. People who don't have money, they're in. Yeah, right. And I think when you look at it in the context of the age of mass incarceration, mm-hmm. that's when bails really started to 
become a huge issue and to keep more people in jail pretrial. Right. Look at the data. Right. Um, and I think a lot of that was we're going to figure out a way to process all these people through this court system. Right. right? We're arresting all these folks. Right. Uh, we got to get them through the court system. Right. Like, it's kind of like that conveyor belt. Right. If, if you don't handle everybody who's coming through, you're, right. you're going to have a problem. So I'm, the bail, set the bail. <laughs> and there is no, I mean, I think you asked about how can one person have one bail, another person right. have another bail. Right. Well, How is that possible? Well, so there's no guidelines, right. monetary guidelines that mm-hmm. are given. And I, I'll just speak to Nashville, right? right? Um, the commissioners and magistrates who are setting bail at, uh, when people originally get arrested, mm-hmm. there's no guidelines. Right. Like it's Ill- well, it's illegal. It violates the Constitution to have what's called a bail schedule. Right. So that regardless of who you are, what your circumstances are, if you're charged with... Um, possession of drugs with intent to sell, your bail is going to be $10,000. Right. Right. That's illegal. Okay. It is not illegal, however, to give some guidelines on, you know, what a maximum bail should be or what right. a minimum bail should be. Right. Um, to create some uniformity right. around that. Right. But that is not something that the Nashville policymakers have ever wanted to do. Uh, That was a discussion at the table, one of those tables that I was at um, years ago when we were talking about bail reform and trying to give guidance. And and that was in the wake of some reports from Nashville, analysis of Nashville saying, your bails are all over the place. Right. Maybe give some guidance. (laughs) Maybe give some guidelines. Right. And there was just not a desire on the part of the judges or the district attorney or, um, you know, and those are the two people who have the most power within the court system to make the policy decisions, uh, not the public defender. Right. Um, much as I might like to think we had a lot, I had a lot of power, but um, many a room I was in in my time as the public defender um, making arguments that, that, you know, oftentimes I was the only one in the right. room. Uh, I think... There, yeah. So I think in fines and fees, people are starting to wake up on that, right? right? So the Metro Council just repealed the General Sessions probation fee. Okay. So I think kudos. I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. It was like thirty-five. Thirty-five dollars a month. A month. Yeah, okay. So kudos to them. Right. Um, I think Howard Gentry, who was our criminal court clerk, um, he has the ability to. And the discretion to charge some fees or not charge some fees. Okay. And he's he's right on in his attitude towards that, that, that his job is, you know, not about collected money, but right. about administering the court system in a right. fair way. And he knows most of the people coming through the court system right. don't have the money. All right. So I think there is change afoot, mm-hmm. um, but uh, in most things related to change, there's the the easy things to do and then there's the harder things to do right um and i think some of what i feel like i'm doing now in in the role i have now is trying to push the harder things to do what's going on everybody this is your host and creative deep dish conversation jerome moore and i know you're enjoying this episode that you're watching currently make sure you hit that notification button and hit subscribe so you won't miss any of these amazing episodes i appreciate y'all thank you for all love support and continue watching the episode i'll hop so I want to I want to go backwards a little bit on you know when you were a public defender 
um, the public defender <laughs> for um, for Davidson County, Nashville. Um, ten year run, mm-hmm. and then you said, "I'm done." Yep. <laughs> why be done with that role? <sighs> why be done? Why be done? Yeah. Why 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 be done? I, and I told I try to find it. Like what, what 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 happened? I know you're doing your thing now with choosing uh, Justice Initiative, but. You know, you seem just like perfect for that role, and but maybe it had some limitations. Maybe, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think maybe so. You, maybe you have a, you something was you was enlightened about something. You said, oh, maybe I need to do something else. I'm curious. We're all curious. Y'all we want to. We want to know. Yeah, I've been asked that question a lot. Um, so I'm gonna speak out. Um, I'm gonna blame Judge Calloway. Okay. Who I know was on Deep Dish. Mm-hmm. Um, and. What happened was she invited me to go to California with her to learn about restorative justice. And while I was out there, that was such a powerful experience for me to learn about a different kind of justice Mm -hmm. than what I was seeing in the courtroom and what I had been participating in for the last 18 years of my life. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment while I was out in California And I started thinking, how much good have I really done for anybody in my career? How how have I really helped anybody? How have I made anybody better? Right? Mm -hmm. Those questions that I think people need to be asking themselves about justice. And so it that really started me thinking about: Is this what I want to do for the rest of my career, or do I want to try something different? Right. And so that was kind of the impetus that got me thinking about maybe I'm not, maybe I really don't need to be the public defender for the rest of my career. Right. Um, I think on top of that, you hit on it a little bit, working in government can be really restrictive. Right. Um, and constricting, and there are rules of that bureaucracy that you have to follow. Right. Um, one of them that particularly struck me was our inability at the public defender's office to be able to serve people in helping in, in dealing with their problems um, beyond the, whatever their criminal case was. Right. And the reality is that people who are have been arrested and are involved in the criminal legal system often have overlapping issues. Right. Um, and if we really wanted to be about to helping people problem solve and um, get past what's brought them into the criminal legal system, mm-hmm. oftentimes they need help to navigate other legal arenas. Mm-hmm. And, other professionals, probably. Right. Yeah. And, and our hands were tied. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And that model, to me, just doesn't make any sense. Right. And so I didn't have a whole lot of faith that we could, with, that I could, within the public defender model, expand what we were doing. Um, and I wasn't really sure, like I said, that I wanted it, that I wanted to seat it in a government office. Right. And I think that is like the third trip that I was on mm-hmm. or the journey I was on was really educating myself about um, things that, we, that none of us were taught in high school or college, right? Related right. to um, government role in oppressions. Right? right and learning much more about the history of this country and coming to understand why none of the people who I that's why I was a public defender is that I cared about the people right who we were representing and who right. were impacted by the system 
And none of them really have any respect for public defenders or, frankly, there's not a whole lot of respect for government. Right. And I just got more and more comfortable, uncomfortable, being connected and affiliated and associated with government. Mm. Um, government's done a lot of bad things. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, done yeah, a lot yeah, of bad things. Yeah, like a lot, you know. <laughs> um, and that's not to say, I mean, I, there are good people yeah. in government. It's um, a system. But it is overwhelmingly, systems everywhere mm-hmm. are just overwhelmingly powerful. Whether we're talking about the healthcare system or the school system right. or the legal system. Right. Um, they are set up and the way they are set up for reasons that are about oppression right. and racism right. and capitalism right. and for reasons that perpetuate harm right. on communities and people who are oppressed. Right. I just wasn't sure I wanted to be part of that anymore. And so... And so and this is this is and this is my thing. This is me personally. I feel if you do that self-reflection that that you, that you had had done throughout your career and, and came to that point, you know, if you really reflect, you come up with a similar you come up with a similar like kind of response. Like when you talk about the confines of government and and working within systems that perpetuate harm, even though you might be a good individual person trying to do, want to do good and want to create change, it's difficult to, you know, for, you know, for one or two or three people, you know, to change systems a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, are people like yourself and others kind of compromised a little bit um, when they enter into those positions of government and power in these systems and really want to create change but you know at some point you if you do the reflection you 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 have to come to a crossroads i I feel that you either say hey am i really helping people right you know or how, how how much help am i really doing or am i perpetuating you know kind of the inner workings of this system right that's exactly right and i think that um the answer for me was I'd done what I thought I could do mm-hmm. within that space, mm-hmm. um, and it was time for me to go right. um, and try something different. Right. Um, I think also in the 10 years that I was there, we had developed um, leaders within the office. Right. And, you know, thinking about working within the system and myself, I look, I'm not from Nashville. I'm an outsider to this town, right? right. I'm also a white woman. Right. Um, and I look at that as giving me certain privileges. Right. Um, and to me, I looked around at the leadership within the public defender's office who there were these young lawyers who started there 10 years ago and they were ready to lead and they had ideas that were great and they had energy and they had like to me I don't think people who get into elected offices should stay there for a long time right I think that there's a there's an energy that you have to commit to that Mm -hmm. and there's a lifespan to that right and you know I looked around Martisa Johnson who right. is now our public defender, right? right? Native Nashvillian, right. uh, African-American woman, right. like just 
doing this work for all of the right reasons with great ideas and, right. and a great leader. And so right. I looked around and I'm like, well, like it's right. not, this is not my office right. and there's not just one way to lead this office. Right. And like it, part of what I can do is step aside and right. let somebody who is a right. native Nashvilleian who right. has been personally impacted by the criminal legal system right. um, lead right. and support her in that. Right. And, so, and that says a lot about who you are as a person too. Well, it just felt like I was... Because some people could have just said, oh, like, I can run again, I can win again. I'm, it's, I know the job. I'm right. comfortable. I'm content. And, you know... I can be here for another, you know, ten years, and, and you know, and but and and I think, I I just think that's a it just really shows your character and your leadership and like the impact and the power that you want to build in the community to have that self reflection and know that hey, there's there's other leaders that can do this and take it to the next level, and I could use my privilege mm -hmm. and who I am and my resources and my knowledge to to serve community and build power in a, in another capacity that needs to be filled. So I just I just think more people should do that and you know you know some people maybe it costs some people to be in a position for 20 years but maybe it doesn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> and maybe it doesn't. But like but everybody doesn't make that choice a lot of times self willingly to take themselves out of you know a great position, a position that they truly love but know like hey I you know I've run my course I've done as much as I possibly can do mm -hmm. it's time for this next person to step up yeah and I think that I knew I wasn't leaving the work right but I knew that I started thinking about what would Nashville look like if we had a public defender and that public defender had other allies right right so right. what if there was in and at the same time as we reduced workloads at the public defender's office I mentioned earlier we were funneling, all of these people were getting funneled into the private appointed counsel system that is the mm -hmm. other, it's the other alternative to public defense. Right. And nobody is working to push back against the injustices that are happening there. Right. And so, um, you know, I think part of why it was so, it took so long for us to take that step at the public defender's office was this concern and fear of well if we, like if we don't represent folks they're going to get pushed into the system that's even worse than right. what we feel like we can do right um and so i had the idea and, and that's sort of where the idea for choosing justice came from mm -hmm. was you know can can i start another entity in nashville that's focusing on similar issues but doesn't have the constraints of government right can start to tackle the issues of the private appointed council system and can promote a different approach that right. the restorative justice approach right. the you know the like somebody from the outside of the system who knows it because i was in it for so long right who can push for policy changes and um that help people right. that you know do things that the current punishment system don't that, right. that are make common sense that reduce right. expenditures within the criminal legal system that don't harm people right. nearly as much but actually help people right so three three last things i want to talk about all right and i just one of my just remember it just cause okay you, we're talking about court fees and court costs and you know, 2022 is going to be a big year. And so yes. uh, I think it's important for people to, um, let's start with that. I think it's important for people to understand uh, the, the power that judges have uh, and the role that they play, as we talked about, and, you know, 
bail, court fees, court costs, and being able and having a lot of discretion yes. when it comes to things. Absolutely. So, um, could you talk about, I guess, the importance for people to understand the power that judges have and the impact that community could have on who's sitting in those seats to best serve them, especially coming up here in Nashville with the 2022 uh, general sessions. I think all of the judges, all of the yep. nine seats, I think they all, 11. 11 seats are, you know, up for, up for the taking for, you know, anybody. To, you yeah. Know. So there's 11 general sessions judges, there's six criminal court judges. There's the DA's race, there's yeah. the public defender race, right. there's right. criminal court clerk. Okay. Uh, all of the <laughs> court system is up for re-election in 2022. Um, so, and you're right. Judges have an enormous amount of power. Mm -hmm. Um, particularly within their courtrooms. Um, you know, the, the way that criminal court judges, I don't, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but the way that criminal court judges work is, a, is in many respects different than the general sessions judges. The mm -hmm. general sessions judges are 11 judges, but they are sort of one court. Right. Some of the things that they do together, they have to do, they have to share space. Right. They, um, create policies together okay. so things around who's eligible for pretrial release which right. is the ability to get out of jail right. without having to pay any money right. right under the supervision of the pretrial release program um, so those judges have power to make policies mm -hmm. in combination with each other right. but in their own individual courtrooms judges these general sessions judges here in Nashville they have the power to decide who gets appointed to your case Right. if you can't afford to hire a lawyer. They have the power to decide if they're going to appoint you a lawyer wow. or not. Wow. They have the power to decide who to right. appoint. So in Nashville, the judge picks your lawyer. You're right. <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's, 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 that's important. That's, it, it is. That's important. It is. And I think particularly important in, in understanding when you, when you layer that on top of the mistrust and distrust of mm -hmm. the legal system that exists right. in large swaths of the community that right. are subjected to it, right? right? Um, so why would anybody right. um, who, and this was one of the, the things that really hit me. I read a book called Devil in the Grove okay. uh, many years ago, which is about Thurgood Marshall's time before he was a, a justice. But he was representing people in the South, in Tennessee right. and in Florida, uh, representing black men largely, who were caught up in the criminal legal system on bogus charges. Right. Right. And that system then, why nobody in that system, none of those defendants was going to trust the court to right. give them a good, good lawyer. lawyer. Right. Right. And so that's the history from which we currently operate today. Right. And if you think about, I started thinking about the people I was representing, the conversations they were having with their parents and their grandparents and their great grandparents right. about what they understood about how the court system right. operated. Right. Yeah. Why would anybody trust that? Right. So I think judges have the power to, to control what kind of defense you get if you right. don't have any money. They have the power to waive court costs, fines right. and fees if they want to. Right. Or not. Right. They have the power to set a monetary bail that you can pay. Right. Or not. Right. Um, they have, if, if you're in general sessions court, they do probable cause hearings um, and can do bench trials where they're going to decide if you're guilty or not guilty if you agree to that. Well, they have the power to sentence <laughs> right? They have the power no, to sentence you. Right. And so this is, this is, uh, uh, 
awareness for everybody, especially here in Nashville, 2022, you know, do your research, listen to people like Don, but also I think, and I, I, we don't have enough time to really talk on it, but Court Watch. Yeah. Court Watch, the Nashville Community Bail Fund. Uh, has a court watch program, and are you are you all doing the same? Are you all in partnership with Choosing uh, the Choosing Justice Initiative with that as well? So the Choosing Justice Initiative does do some work, okay. basically some educational work right. around that, trying to help right. people, you know, just get the foundational knowledge they need to know what right. are they looking at when they go into a courtroom. Right, but for people here in Nashville, court watch is a is a great way to evaluate judges and the type of decisions they are making to our residents, to our, to our neighbors mm-hmm. um, in their cases to really, so you can really see, you know, kind of, is this the best judge to be sitting in the seat for the community um, that's going to make the best, uh, you know, equitable decisions, I would say, amongst, for everybody, right. um, no matter, you know, gender, race, Right. All of those things right. uh, that go into the uh, consideration. And Raheem Buford is doing a Nashville Community Court Watch stuff now, too. Raheem, so shout out to Raheem. Yeah, he's on season he's, one. He's, Reach he out to Raheem. Yep. And uh, so folks who are interested in getting to know more about that and getting engaged and going to watch some court can reach out to him as well. You mentioned another race that's coming up. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, another, uh, another seat that's up. The mm-hmm. DA. Yeah, and so uh, that's, that's Glenn Flunk, right? General Glenn that Flunk. That is the District current DA. At, Eternal, yes. Attorney General Glenn Flunk. Um, he recently just made, um, some would say, a controversial decision uh, when it comes to um, rest in peace, Daniel Hambrick, um, and his and his family just you know still mourning, I'm sure, um, and you know as far as the decision when it comes to Andrew Delick, the police officer mm-hmm. um, that that murdered him, right. uh, Daniel Hambrick. Right. Um, a lot of controversy around this his decision, this backdoor decision on uh Delic, you know, not gonna happen to trial, just being right. able to plea. Um what are your thoughts and takes on on uh, Glenn Funk's decision? Um and what have would have been I guess from for for us that are not attorneys and lawyers mm-hmm. and things like that, what would have been, I guess, the a more appropriate or was is there was there a more appropriate approach um that uh, Funk could have taken? Um, when it comes to Andrew Delic? So I think that that was a hard day in Nashville for a lot of people, including myself. Right. And I think a lot of criminal defense lawyers. Um, We are accustomed to hearing from the district attorney's office that they cannot or will not um, agree to a certain outcome in a case because the family member of the vic- the family or the victim, we all, that's not what they want. Right. We routinely hear that. Um, and so to watch something very different play out in the Delkey case was uh, really, really difficult hmm. um, and confusing and felt very hypocritical. Okay. Um, I think layered on top of that is just, um, you know, the two, two justice systems. Right. Right. There's, and, and that case outcome, it was emblematic of the two justice systems that exist. Right. Um, I, I can't begin to imagine, I have not talked to Glenn since he made that decision and I can't begin I don't want to imagine whatever it was he was thinking when he did that. Um, I 
I think that from where I come from in my journey of learning about restorative justice, mm-hmm. I firmly believe that there is nothing about our current criminal legal system that serves anybody well. Right. Um, there's no justice there for the Hambrick family. Right. Right. Um, I don't think there's any justice there for any family. Right. Uh, certainly not anybody that has experienced harm. Right. The court system is not designed to address harm. Right. And in many ways, um, it exploits people mm. who have experienced harm to, to perpetuate the system as it is. Right. Um, victims of crime are often cited as the reasons that that policymakers do the things that they do. Mm-hmm. But victims of crime um, are oftentimes a very defined, like the victims they are talking about right. is one type of victim. It's one right. set of victims. Right. Um, and it is not the Hamburg family. Um, and so I just don't, I think that it is time for, for reimagining and complete, frankly, revolution within right. the court system to, to undo it. Right. It's not doing anybody any good. Right. I don't want to see what, what I, like, what I want to see is all of my clients get that plea offer. Right. Right. And so I struggle with the knowing what I know about the criminal legal system. I'm not in a position to be able to say I wanted to see Andrew Delkey do a whole lot of time in prison. I don't think prison helps anybody. Right. Um, Not the current form of it. Right. What. So I'm on the other side of things. Right. I want to see all of my clients get restorative. um, uh, Like non-punitive right. sanctions right. when they harm people. Right. 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 Um, I want to see all of my clients get the benefits right. that Andrew Delkey got. Right. So rather than wanting to push for harsh, more, uh, for things to be harsher on him necessarily, right. where I'm coming at this from right now is that everybody who is subjected to the system ought right. to be treated in the same way right. he was. I agree. Um, I agree. So... Maybe we'll see that happen. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Um, I want to end on the note of um, speaking a little bit about the Choosing Justice Initiative. Mm -hmm. Um, How can people find out more about that and reach out to you if you need, uh, you know, representation? (laughs) Uh Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, um, yeah, like, uh, just how can people reach out to you, uh, find out more about Choosing uh, Justice Initiative, and... Yeah. Yeah. So you can go to our website, cjinashville.org. Um, and when I started CJI, the goal was to create a community based, client centered, holistic, for lack of a better word, but mm-hmm. holistic law firm that represents people who can't afford to hire lawyers. Right. Um, because they ask us to represent them. Right. They, in other words, hire us, even though they're not going to pay us. Right. Right. It is fundamentally that issue that I go back to of I, I, we only have as much value as the people 
see in us. Right. Right. And so I believe that if we provided high quality representation to people who can't afford lawyers, right, that people would seek us out. Right. And they would find value in it, and our our reach would grow. Right. And that is happening. That's right. Great. So we've been in existence almost three years now. Okay. Um, is it a nonprofit? It is a nonprofit. So people can donate. People can donate. Donate. Indeed. Need people money. can donate. Need people. You just, this is the way this is the way it's yep. out. You need you need money. You need yep. resources to help people. Yep. So um, started with just me. Uh, and we just invited we just had our fourth staff members start this week. Wow, congratulations to them. Yeah, so that's exciting. We now have there are three lawyers on staff and a paralegal uh, who also, she's right. more than a paralegal, right? right? Do you all take interns? We do. We just finished. We Intern. have our uh, Vanderbilt uh, undergraduate student yeah. with yeah. us. Yeah. Um, we are located uh, on the campus of American Baptist College. Okay, ABC. Okay. Uh, and so you can find us there if you have any connections with ABC. They, they can point you in our direction. Um, but, you know, when I started it, I, tried, I spent a long time thinking about the name. Most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I firmly believe that fundamentally people want to act in justice, mm-hmm. right? They want to be just. Right. If they know, if they see two options on the table and they think about it and they think that was, that's, that's wrong. Right. This is the right thing to do. Right. right? And simply put different, like what's wrong and what's right. And people want to do what's right. Right. So many people don't know what's happening though. Exactly. Right? And it's not their experience um, to be involved in the court system. Right. Once you open their eyes to it, whether it's through court watch um, or listening to podcasts like yours right. or reading things, right, you come to recognize there's so much injustice happening. Right. What we wanted to do it, what I wanted to do at CJI and when I chose the name is that I believe when people know what's happening and they know when they have a choice between justice and injustice, they will choose mm, justice. Justice, right. Um, but I also think the power of choice is real. Right. Um, going back to and rooted in the fact that people don't currently have a choice of who their lawyer is if they need a court-appointed lawyer. Right. Um, the power of choice means something. It's right. power. Right. And I believe that every person should have those choices within right. our court system. Right. That... Um, that that is a perhaps the most significant wealth-based disparity that exists in our court system. Mm-hmm. If you got money, you can hire yeah. the best lawyer out there. Right. Right. And if you don't have money to hire a lawyer, you will be stuck with right. um, whoever the court system gives you. Right. With all of the flaws in that system. Right. We, you know, we don't have time to get into, but you right. will be stuck with that lawyer. Right. And the kind of justice uh, or outcome you get will be only as good as what that system gives you. Uh, and I just, that's not right. Right. Uh, so you have a choice. Um, we're a good choice. And choose the Choose Justice Initiative. Yeah, so choose the Choosing <laughs> choose Justice, justice initiative. initiative. If you need a lawyer. Right. Um, and also, if you're just interested in systemic reform, right? Mm-hmm. So those are, we are trying to encourage people and educate them about what restorative justice is. And right. is that an option you might want to pursue in your case? Is right. that an option the person who you may have harmed might right. want to pursue? Right. How can we get 
people out of that punishment system right. and get them into places that are really going to benefit them, heal them, right. find accountability, right. but also balance that with what feels like justice. Well, look, that's time. Don, right. I appreciate you. I, this was, I, I learned a lot, you know, and I've learned a lot from Don just in general, <laughs> but I've learned even more here, but I hope people watching um, really, really listened and really just did a lot of reflection. And especially if you are in the criminal justice, criminal legal system, there you, go. you know, hopefully you do the same reflection Don has done and really ask yourself, you know, kind of what, what good are you, am I doing? Um, or am I continuing to perpetuate the harm of people through the system that I am um, working in, working with, working for? And so, Don, I really appreciate you as a person and as a guest and the work you're just doing here in the national community and the and the just the role model I think that that many other people uh, that's in your profession should be. And I hope they're taking notes because this definitely needs to be a lot of reform, tear down, and just rebuild a, a new, a whole new this court system, you know, this legal system in general. And so I really appreciate you and your character and just who you are as a person. So thank you for that. Thank you. And, um, I just feel honored to have been invited and I've enjoyed talking oh, yeah. with you. And so thank, thank you, you for, you know, eating deep dish. Oh, it was really good. It was really good. I didn't eat much, but, you know, that's because it was so much She's talking. taking it. She's taking it to go. She's taking Absolutely. it to go. Absolutely. This will be lunch for the next, I don't know, five days. A piece, a slice a day. Um, and thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Deep Dish Conversations. Make sure y'all hit the subscribe button and the notification, all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, we'll see y'all next time. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Thank you. This was amazing. Oh, that was Joshua. Was that good?